Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed. And today our special guest is Miguel Shadell. He is the National Sales Director for Crown Heads and Ozinger Family Cigars. So we're going to speak to Miguel about how he got into the industry, how he got into sales. We're going to also ask him for some sales tips. So for those of you who work in sales or who want to improve your sales skills like I do, um, hopefully we'll get some very good tips from Miguel today. So let's get to today's interview. Miguel, welcome to Deep Cuts Live. Well, thank you for having me on, man. And um, I always look forward to these. I love talking cigars. And in the world of technology, you know, if you started smoking in the 90s like I did, this wasn't a thing. So what I love about modern day cigars is maybe the cigar is still made the same way it was 100 years ago. But the fact is that we're sharing it on a different level. And, and I love this. I love technology, man. I know. It was like this is like one of the great things about the pandemic. <laughs> if there was anything good, mm-hmm. was the, the introduction of all these different video platforms and stuff that would allow us to connect. Because I know by the time this airs, you and I will probably be on our way to Vegas, if not already in Vegas. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's a once a year, a couple of days out of the year event. And so for me, the technology allows us to connect and, I know you're probably super busy during the trade shows. There's no time to have an hour-long conversation (laughs) at the trade show, at least not during like regular hours, maybe after hours. I'll tell you what, if you come by the booth, I'll hook you up with uh, Tim Osgunner and John Huber. Uh, I'll be selling, running my sales team, but I can definitely hook you up with those guys. Well, I will take you up on that for sure. (laughs) So you're a first-timer to Deep Cuts, which is always fun because – this is episode 132. And so just, I know, just think that, you know, 132 guests and only like four or five of those people have been repeat guests. So you're wow. to, to have someone new on here is fun. Uh, and I know you are sales. So I'm always interested in a sales process because I feel like everyone in some capacity is a salesperson, uh, whether you want to or not, but, for me, exactly. Like it's sales always makes me like cringe because I'm like, I can't, I can't sell. I can't sell anything. I can kind of sell myself. I can sell a story, but I can't sell. Like I can't go to people and say, I need you. Like, so I'm always interested in that process. We'll, we'll get into that, but um, introduce yourself to people, tell them like where you're from, you know, what company you work for and we'll go from there. Well, my name is Miguel Chaudel, uh, 21 years in the premium cigar industry on the sales side, the manufacturing side. I've had the pleasure to work for such great companies such as CAO Cigars, um, Tarano Family Cigars, uh, Crowned Head Cigars. Uh, the thing about those three companies that I've worked for have all been intertwined. Uh, the fact is that CAO was owned by the Osgener family, Osgener, Tim Osgener's co-owner of Crowned Heads. Um and I worked for the Toranos, and the Toranos made all the all the CAO cigars in their factories uh, for us. So, in one way or another, I've I've worked for the same group of men, and I'm very proud of all the years, the 21 years I've spent in this industry. It's been a lot of fun, and I consider it a blessing uh, to do what I love. I've been a cigar smoker for about 25 years, and I love the culture, and I do take it very serious. Um, you know, if you study the history of premium cigars um, from when, you know, over 150 years ago, when they started adding machinery to rolling cigars, they were actually protests in Cuba by hand, hand rollers. Um, and then through the hard times of the of recently of the uh, 70s and 80s of the cigar industry in the United States that were just really, really tough. Uh, the industry was older and dying out. Uh, obviously, the revolution in Cuba in 1959 with the embargo in 62, with all the families being forced out, um, all the cigar factories pretty much in the United States were making what they called clear Havanas. Those were 100% Cuban tobacco, but rolled in another country. And so our industry has been through all these things. So the fact of being in the industry, I consider all of us um, what you're doing, spreading the culture, uh, me on the sales side or John Huber, Mike Conner, John Huber creating cigars. Um, all of us are carrying this flag of this incredible hobby and culture to the next generation. So um, I love what I do. 
Um, I do focus on sales and I've been very blessed that the companies I've worked for have got me very involved on the factory side. I've spent time in Ecuador, a lot of time in Nicaragua, Honduras, Dominican Republic, made several trips to Cuba. Um, consider myself well, very well versed, not in just in the sales, but also in the tobacco and the cigar making process. And um, there's nothing more than I love than spreading uh, the hobby that I love and sharing my love and, and my knowledge to others. And hopefully, you know, a um, hundred years from now, uh, people are still smoking cigars, enjoying the culture, and it's still going strong. So um, that's a little bit of my background. I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. Anyone who knows me or follows me on social media, they know that baseball and cigars are my two hobbies. Um, I currently live in South Florida. Um, my wife is from the from the island, so it makes her very happy. Although in my heart, I miss Cincinnati every day. Um, but if anyone will tell you, I live pretty much on a on a Delta airline. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can tell that you're very passionate about this industry just from that spill. And, Thank you. you know, um, and I think that's a, a great thing because you do encounter some people in the industry that it, it is just a job, you know, it's, it's a way to make a paycheck. They kind of landed here and they, they aren't really passionate about it. Um, do you think, you know, that passion is, is necessary for success or can you kind of be disassociated a little bit? Can you come at it at an angle of like just being really good at business and having some success in the industry? Well, I would say that in the 25 years that I have 21 of those 25 years been in the industry with 25 actually actively smoking, I would say that the, just really the, 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 the people that work in the industry, the ones that are passionate about it, that have made their lives connected to it, their friends are in the industry, those people have longevity. Um, the Fuente family, the Padron family, those, those individuals that have this long history in our business, this only reason they have sustained is because of the passion. Um, and I think there are plenty of people that have come to the industry, dipped their toe in the industry, looked at it as a financial or as a job or as a uh, uh, try to get rich quick scheme. Um, and those people tend to get recycled out pretty quick because I think long-term the passion is what keeps you involved, right? I would say that there are many ways in this world you can make a great living. There's many ways in this world that are easier way to make a living than cigars. Um, I always use uh, obviously Fuente is very well respected in our industry. You know, their factories burned in Nicaragua. Um, then they went to the Dominican. Uh, they created a legacy there, but they had several uh, burnt, uh, you know, warehouses in the, and I think the eighties and nineties there as well. There's easier ways they could have left, right? They could have left and said, man, I'm done with this, but there's something that is in our blood that has attracted us, or we have inserted that love and passion into our soul where it won't leave. And so I think for longevity in this industry, I always say that I hope my my, um, I hope that I give more to the industry than I take. And I believe that the companies that do that are the ones that have that long sustaining name. Ernesto Perez Carrillo, whose father, you know, from Cuba um, to leaving Cuba, uh, establishing La Gloria Cubana in Miami, you know, Ernesto taking it over um, in the uh, in the 70s or 80s and then turning it into a mega brand in the 90s and then selling it and coming right back with his EPC brand, with his kids being involved. Uh, that, that to me, uh, the only way that happens is through legacy and passion. And I think those are the people with longevity in the business. I've seen a lot of salesmen come and go. And the salesmen that stay are guys like me, uh, my good friend Wes Thornton, who works with me. Um, the reason we stay is because we have literally made our lives, our friends, our our hobby, our passion, our career. And I think that's what keeps us in. And, and like I said, at the end of the day, I hope the legacy for all of us, crowned heads, Osgoner family cigars, myself, us as individuals, give more than we take to this incredible business. To, to backtrack a little bit, I'm curious because I see how passionate you are about cigars. So I couldn't imagine you doing anything other than cigars. But when you were growing up, what did you envision yourself becoming? Like, what did you want to be? Because I know that there's always like, for most people, 
a, a separation between what they wanted to be when they were growing up and then what they ended up becoming? Well, um, really two things in my life. Uh, and this is the, the God's honest truth. I always wanted to be a baseball player and at a very young age, I knew I did not have the skill to be a baseball player. And that's probably why I'm obsessed with baseball to this day, because I just couldn't hit a fastball from T-ball to middle school to high school. It wasn't going to happen. So I'm the fan. I'm the guy. I'm the fan. And believe it or not, in 92, before I started smoking cigars, I fell in love with the culture. Um, part of that Latino background, right? Um, family members smoking cigars. Uh, and I remember walking into a Walden bookstore in Cincinnati, Ohio, and picking up a cigar aficionado in 92 and just being very intrigued by the aspect of what a cigar is, knowing that tobacco was a, a distinctly American um, plant, uh, knowing that my background as a, as a Mexican-American, that the Mayans, the Aztecs, tobacco played a central role in that, learning Latin American history, knowing that the Tainos and Awak of the Caribbean who traveled through Jamaica, modern-day Jamaica, Dominican, Cuba, um, Puerto Rico, that tobacco was such an important role. And just knowing that there was that connection, it really intrigued me. And uh, so from a very young age, I knew I wanted to do something with cigars. At a young age, I didn't really understand it. Um, and when I got that opportunity um, to get in, uh, I felt like um, I was batting 500. I knew I couldn't be a baseball player, but I knew I could be in a cigar business. Now, when I, as a young a young man, I thought, man, I'd love to be a cigar maker. I'd love to live in, in uh, at the time, I, I was really obsessed with the Dominican. I said, I could live in the Dominican, make cigars, and um, obviously not knowing how the industry worked or, or anything like that. Um, but I'm very proud that I got in on the sales side. It's something that I thrive in. Um, I'm very blessed to come from a family, a father and brothers that are in sales. And it really is uh, a passion. It uh, doesn't matter what you're selling. Uh, you get joy out of it. You get joy out of of of, of selling things and, and and being successful. But what's great about cigars is you're you're selling something and introducing people to products that they they use as leisure, as a hobby, as a way to relax, opposed to selling maybe a used car or a vacuum cleaner, right? <laughs> um, and so um, I always joke that uh, the only way I will leave this industry is if the Cincinnati Reds offered me the general manager position, and I. <laughs> I don't see that happening, so I think I'm, I think I'm here to stay. Just curious, like what was your uh, like growing up? Your favorite baseball position to play? Uh, I always, and to this day, I have this great respect for catchers. Um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, you know, um, before my time, um, Johnny Bench, you know, uh, he retired. I was still a, a young, young, young kid, but. Uh, the catching position in Cincinnati Reds is, is kind of legendary. It's considered the greatest catcher of all time. And I was always taught by people that I knew that played baseball. Either it was coaches in, in, in elementary or middle school. There was always this, this man, if you're a catcher, you're a little crazy. If you're a catcher, you have the hardest position. Um, it's, it's probably the least glamorous, right? Because you can't see your face. Um, no one expects you to be a good hitter as long as you, you can call a good game. Um, and so I had this obsession with with catching, and I just thought, man, those guys are truly the un, unsung heroes of the baseball field. And, um, and when I do research, I love to research baseball stuff, and I just find myself gravitating towards catchers and, and how it really is kind of a, a position that is – I mean, it's a hard position. You're involved in every play, and uh, and your knees go out, and I don't know. There's just this this – this appreciation for those guys because they're, they're literally doing the hardest position on the field, you know? Yeah. I remember there was a, a period of my childhood where my father tried to get me to play baseball or softball or whatever. And I was in right field and I would always dread. I was like, please don't let anything come out here. Cause I yeah. was not a big athletic person anyway. So I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do anything. I was like, please don't let anything come out here. And the like, the two or three times when it did, I was like, oh man. I was like, everything's coming down. And you have to like chug it in and run and, and get it and throw it. It was just so. You know, yeah. I, I I played some football. I was a I was a kind of a buff young 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 kid, and I played football. But I was a kid who I played football because I couldn't hit a baseball. And uh, you know, 
Uh, I only played football because I couldn't make the baseball team. And, and probably there were a lot of kids the other way around wanted to play football, you know. And and um, so I feel you, brother. I feel you. I had the skills to hit people. I didn't have the skill to hit a ball. <laughs> I know. It was so hard to hit the – you could see the, the ball coming towards you and you just be like, <laughs> how am I going to maneuver this? But that's, that's what – that's probably why I avoid I avoid golf. You know, golf is very popular in our industry, but um, I couldn't hit this big white ball with red stitches. I highly doubt that I could hit a little white ball with uh, you know little dimples in it. So, well, maybe you could you could do it if it was like Wii Sports, where it was oh. virtual. <laughs> that, that was like the best. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'm I'm pretty good at uh, putt putt. Now, I have definitely <laughs> honed, honed my skill. My family gets dragged to putt putt quite a bit. So what attracted you to this whole world of, of sales? My father was a salesman. Um, uh, my People used to call my father Al Bundy. Um, my father sold shoes from his youth all the way to a few years before he passed away at the ripe young age of 62. Um, all he did was shoes. And I remember I was very young, but downtown Cincinnati, he had a shoe store on Main Street. And uh, I had never seen a store. Years later, a chain came around that wind up uh, putting in a little basketball court so you could try the shoes on. But my father, this is way before that happened. My father had a half court basketball um, in uh, uh, court in his store so the kids could try on the Converse at the time, could try on all these different basketball shoes um, and really kind of, you know, shoot a sh- and see how they how it worked. And I always thought that was incredible. But sales, um, my father was just in the sales my brother, Brian, uh, who is the middle brother. I'm the baby. I have another older brother. My, my middle brother, Brian, who I, I grew up closest with, was in sales his entire life. He's still in sales to this day. And I think I really learned a passion from my father and my my middle brother. They were just – it was, like, exciting to them to make a sale, to live on that, you know, okay, I made a sale, but tomorrow's a new day. And I just – there was something about it that attracted me to it. And I do think you kind of get bit by the bug. And so when I got into the cigar industry, the only thing I really could get in at the time was in sales. I was offered a sales position with CAO. It was family owned by Tim Osgener and his family. And um, that was, I thought, I'm going to start here and then I'll probably move to Dominican and start my own brand. And and I and uh, obviously uh, when you're married and have kids and things, you don't maybe they don't want to move, you know, and <laughs> do that kind of thing. But I really fell in love with sales. I fell in love with the retailers, um, traveling uh, a territory. And, and for the last 10, 15 years of my career, traveling the, the country as well as international. And you meet retailers and they're passionate about their store. Maybe they're the second generation or they started it and they want to pass it on to their kids. And you're part of their success. You're bringing them products to help bring people in. You're hosting events uh, and you're helping to build the legacy of their stores. And um, I remember growing up in Cincinnati, we have a, a little cigar shop downtown Cincinnati called Strauss Tobacconist. I think they're the fifth or fourth oldest cigar shop in the United States. And so that was always the store that I walked into as a young man before I got in the industry buying cigars. And so when I got into it and I'd meet these shop owners, maybe their store had been around 20 years, some shops for two or three years. And to me, and I, if I could be a part of helping them grow their sales and grow their legacy and grow that culture within their lounge, um, there was something attracting, attractive about that. And when you sell great product that is made from great tobacco and you work with great manufacturers, um, that definitely is what you're doing. And, uh, and so, um, man, I'm telling you, I just, there's something about when you go into a store and someone says, I'm looking for a good cigar and they walk out with a box of our cigars and you know that there's 20 cigars in that box. You're going to have 20 great moments of lighting a cigar and enjoying it. There's joy that comes from that. You know, what, what have you learned about sales? Like, I don't, I know we don't have like three hours to to have a sales lesson, but when it comes to like selling something like a cigar, something that basically, if you're new to cigars, it seems really strange that even somebody would spend money on a cigar because you could drop $20 on a cigar and then you light it up (laughs) and and it's, you know, within an hour or hour and a half it's gone. Like, like, how do you sell something like that? You know, I, I, I think that when you sell uh, a product that you're very proud of, um, luckily the, the companies I've worked for have been very proud of the, to represent their product. And you know the product is well made. You know who's making it. You know the tobacco. And when you're selling them a product that you have all the faith in, 
It's easy to sell that product. And then when you sell it to the retailer, you also help the retailer. Unlike if, uh, let's say I sold ladders and I sold it to uh, Home Depot. Home Depot would be responsible for selling it to, con to consumers. And the cigar industry, it's a little different. We sell it twice. We sell it to the retailer. And then usually there is a, uh, a component of us being involved in your store, events, tastings, just regular visits, helping to push and promote that product that you sold to the retailer. Now you're selling a direct consumer for them. And so what I've learned is honesty is always the best. Keep your word. Be honest about what you're selling. Uh, you know, if you have a cigar and you say, oh, this cigar is made of, of five-year aged tobacco, there will always be someone else that could totally make up and say, oh, well, my cigar is made of 10-year aged tobacco, right? Right. So I think being honest, being very, uh, very just connecting with people and knowing that if you're honest, people can 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 usually feel when they're being sold a, a, a bag of goods that aren't real or aren't true. And I find that I smoke cigars, not just when I work, but at home on my leisure time. So I can understand what a consumer, because I was that consumer at one time over 21 years ago of what I want in a cigar, what I want in the experience. I will tell you that um, recently, uh, a couple of hotels that I have had to, had to, to stay the night in didn't have the great experience with c customer service. And whenever I have a bad experience with something like that, it always reinforces me to say I have to do a better job. I always have to make sure that I'm providing the best level of service and to just be honest in product knowledge and sharing and, and if they say, hey, can you answer this question? Maybe I can't answer it, but let me get back to you. And you get back to them. Nobody's perfect. But if you can, if you can, you know, uh, in baseball, you just have to get three out of 10 hits and you're a success. I think in cigars, you deliver nine out of 10 times. You're doing a great job. And that's always my goal is to deliver, deliver, deliver. And I think when you do that, um, sales come, can come easy. They can come easy when you are honest and you're not and you're and you're introducing a great product and you and you enjoy what you do. Um, you help foster um, success in sales. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't know where I'm going from the question you asked me if I'm answering it, but um, I love it. I, I, I love selling a product that I'm proud of. And I've been very lucky, very blessed to have worked for a family, the Osgoners at CAO the Toronto family, Toronto family cigars. And at crown heads, I'm working for three incredible men that I, that I truly uh, look up to. That's John Huber. Who's a veteran of the cigar business. Mike Condor, who's been in the business as long as I've been alive. And Tim Osgener, who was born into the business through his father, John Osgener of CAO. These three men own crown heads. And I consider myself um, lucky to sell their product. And, I'll give you a little a little uh, example. We have a cigar called Lake Carême. It's a Connecticut broadleaf. It's made for us by Ernesto Perez Carrillo. Well, not that many years ago, like three, four years ago, we had a broadleaf shortage in the industry. There was there was almost no broadleaf to go around. So there were cigar makers such as us and other cigar makers that could not get broadleaf. And what I loved about Mike and John, the decision they made People were bringing broadleaf to us that was grown in Pennsylvania. People were bringing us broadleaf that was being experimentally grown in Nicaragua. We were using U.S.-grown Connecticut broadleaf. And instead of changing the wrapper, we took it off the market until we could get enough broadleaf to bring it back to market. Now, as a sales manager, that can hurt, right, because we're losing out on sales. But on the other end, the integrity that says this product will not change, we will not change this product, we would rather not sell it until we can get the wrapper that we want that has always been on this from the very beginning. And then we'll bring it back to market. That integrity is what makes me proud to sell for crown head cigars. And I think that our consumers, the fans of crown heads, um, I think they respond to that and respect that as well. In this sales process, especially in the cigar industry, I feel like when I look at it, I see there are some people who, who try to make it a linear thing where it's there's two ends of it. There's like the manufacturer and then there's the, the retailer. And I feel like it's more of a triangle where the consumer is also plays a big part of it, but Huge. They're, not, they're not a lot of companies that activate all the three points of that triangle. <laughs> so they, they don't get like the big success, but you all seem to kind of really try to hit all three points. Um, do you find that 
you know, do, do you all focus as much on the consumer as you do the retailer and, and how do you juggle all that as a, as a manufacturer? I think it's a balance, right? I think what we do is we operate by working with manufacturers such as Ernesto Perez Carrillo, Don Pepin Garcia at the My Father's Cigar Factory, Irradio um, Pichardo uh, down in Nicaragua, um, or NAXA, Nicaraguan American Cigars SA. We're working with great manufacturers that um, are, are very blessed to get some of the best tobacco that is being grown in the industry. They get prime pickings because of their history and their legacy in the business. And when we blend cigars, we are blending for ourselves. John Huber is blending to his palate, but he's also taken into consideration all the incredible consumers that have been loyal to Crown Head since 2011. Um, John is a consumer, even though he's the guy behind our blends, who's who's making the cigars, who's putting his love and passion into the the naming, the 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 imagery of our cigars. Um, what I love is that we don't make a cigar and we go to a you know a group of consumers, right. And test our blends with them. It's something that is, we love that we're passionate about. And we believe that the people that are enjoying crown heads that discover crown heads, that's the reason why they're smoking crown heads. They're looking for what we enjoy, what we love. We don't make six sixties. We don't make seven seventies. Um, we don't do a lot of Lanceros. We, we kind of play in this 46 ring gauge to 54 ring gauge world. Very, very traditional kind of tobaccos that, that we're getting our hands on. Criollo, um, uh, uh, Criollo 98 and, and Corojo 99 and all these different tobaccos. Um, and yet the marketing and the names that there's all reasons behind them. And I think that's what connects to the consumer. So the circle of, of that we work within with our manufacturing partners, us, and ultimately consumers, we're all connected in this business. And I would say we're more connected in this business uh, than most other industries out there. It's a very much a handshake business. It's very much, um, you know, uh, some of our factories buying tobacco from growers because they bought it from their father and they bought it from their, their father's father. And then a lot of our consumers are, hey, my father smokes Crown Heads. He introduced me to Crown Heads. And now I'm in my early 20s and um, I'm getting into cigars and I love my father's cigars. And so it's this, this circle that we're in. And when we welcome more people into our circle, it just grows and we all rely on each other. I, I truly believe that none of these families, uh, the, the Ernesto Perez Carrillos, the crowned heads, um, uh, the Skip Martins of the world, um, the uh, uh, Christian Iroras, it could go on and on. None of us would be here without the consumer. So the consumer has so much power and say into what brands come to market, what brands um, create that long legacy. And it's truly a circle and it's a handmade circle because there's very little machinery. There's It's all handmade product. It's definitely a very artisanal product, no matter if you're the big guys like General Nautilus or if you're one of the small boutique brands or somewhere in between. We all are connected and it's a handmade product. So it's a very old school kind of product that is in a modern world. And no matter what we think or say or do, we are also intertwined. What you do is something that wasn't done in the 70s and 80s and even the 90s. The, the ability for a person that could, could tune in to Deep Cuts Live and hear from their manufacturers or the sales guys and learn about the product, you have such an important part in that, in that cog as well. And all of us are here because of one thing, because of beautiful Cuban seed hand-rolled cigars. And um, I think it's – I don't want to over-romanticize it, but I think it's a romantic product. Um, when I go and buy a car, when I go and buy a new watch, it's not the same as going in and buying a handmade product, something that literally, you know, 200, 300 sets of hands went into this product and it is an absolute circle of life in this business and, uh, and, and I'm proud to be a part of it. When you talk about, um, what makes this industry special and like the stories behind some of the brands, uh, to me, that's what appeals to me when I think of crown heads is that the products usually come with a really good story. Um, I think of Las Calaveras, you know, that cigar has a, a really interesting story to it. The angels envy that has a really good story to it. Um, you know, tell us about, you know, Las Calaveras. Cause I know I, I 
it comes out every year and you know it's the same story every year but i think it's an important story and it obviously is inspired by something completely different than most you know most cigars on the market you know las calaveras is based off of the uh mexican holiday dia de los muertos which is traditionally celebrated november 1st november 2nd of every year some people think it's mexican halloween but it's, it's not it's it's much more deeper it's a mixture of indigenous um kind of religion mixed with catholicism and it's really about the celebration of lives uh, that have passed away it's not mourning their life it's about celebrating their life which is something you find throughout latin america that um, you know, my family does it every November uh, 1st. We put up uh, what we call an ofrenda. And the ofrenda is a table. And on that table, there's candles, there's skulls, there's um, marigolds, which is the flower of the dead. Um, and there's sometimes there's rice and beans. And then there's pictures of those who have passed away. And again, it's nothing to do with mourning. It's about celebration. And a lot of times we smoke cigars to celebrate. So John, um, back in 2015, 14, he released the first Las Calaveras based on that. Now, we release it in the summer every year. The blend changes every year. We always work with Jaime Garcia, Yanni Garcia, Pepin Garcia uh, from the My Father Cigar Factory. They've done it every year since 2014. And John wanted to create a cigar that we could celebrate the lives of those who have passed away. And on the sides of the band, a lot of people don't even know this, but on the sides of the band, very small, there's usually four sets of initials. And those are people that have passed away. And those people that have passed away it could be family members of employees of Crown Heads, um, people like um, Old Man Padron, Old Man Oliva's, uh, Old Man Fuente's initials have been on there, um, musicians that maybe we love, uh, or just people in general that, that have an effect on our lives, either indirectly or directly. And it's a way to just celebrate. And, and the cigar has taken on a life of its own. People will buy that cigar to celebrate the lives of people they have lost. They smoke it. There's, there's, there's such rich history behind it. The imagery of Las uh, Calaveras. And every year the blend changes. And every year the initials change. And obviously in the cigar world, it's become a huge popular limited edition, very collectible cigar. But really the story behind it is to touch uh, something about what cigars do. They bring people together. I will tell you that I, from stories of, of all the years I've been in here of people that have smoked cigars around maybe their father's funeral, uh, you know, the caskets being lowered in, they all light up a cigar and remembering their father who smoked cigars or myself included. When my father passed away, I buried my father with a cigar in his pocket. Um, cigars have that way to connect us. And Las Calaveras is one of those cigars that's released every year that either you smoke it because you love it and you love limited edition or hard fine cigars, you're a fan of Crown Heads or Don Pepin Garcia, or because you're smoking it because of the people's initials on the band or someone that has passed in your life, it's taken on a, a, a kind of a life of its own. And, and we're kind of stewards of what that cigar has turned into. And uh, I think when people discover that cigar, the meaning behind that cigar, there's an automatic connection to it. And again, it's being very honest. It's being very true. And, and I think it's, it's, that came from John's heart when he created that blend, that first initial blend. And because I think he's done it so honest and it's come from his heart, I think that's what has driven the success of Las Calaveras. And um, I'm very proud to sell it every year. Our new Las Calaveras has an orange label. It'll hit the first part of July. So if people are listening to the show and either they know about Las Calaveras or they don't, Early July, you'll be able to walk into many tobacconists around the United States uh, and around the world and ask for the new Las Calaveras, and uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, it's one of those releases that I look forward to every year. Um, I've purchased it, like I said, probably the last two or three years since I really have dug my nails into this cigar industry. So it's one of those things I always look out for. Um, you know, we're preparing for this year's big trade show, the Premium Cigar Association PCA trade show. And I know uh, Crown Heads always puts a lot of effort and time into this show. Um, and you all have a lot of releases uh, planned. It's driving you crazy that just to learn or get getting ready, um, doing your push-ups, getting your stamina ready for this, you know, three or four days of, of you know, good interactions with retailers. Um, what release are you most excited about 
Oh my goodness, that is so tough. Um, <laughs> we haven't announced them all yet, but I will say that I think the thing I'm most excited about is um, a line extension, our Mil Diaz line, which is one of our best-selling lines made for us by Radio Pichardo down in Nicaragua. Um, that comes in four Vitolas, a Corona Gorda, comes in an Edmundo, a Sublime, and a Double Robusto. And for the first time since its, its release, we've added a new core size to it. And I always look for inspiration in many, many different things. And I always share them with John. And one of the things John and I love are sometimes very old school, traditional Cuban Vitolas or new Vitolas that are coming out. Um, and uh, I, I encountered the Trinidad uh, Dopes, which is a uh, four and seven eighths by 56 with a pigtail. Uh, and uh, you can love or hate Cuban cigars. But I, for whatever reason, that cigar really, I really enjoyed. And the funny thing is I went to John and said, John, I'd love to see the size we added. And John was already working on the same cigar when I mentioned it to him. So he was three steps ahead of me. And he said, man, I was right. Because him and I are on the same wavelength when it comes to Vitolas and stuff. And so I don't know. It's, 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 it may not be the, the wild big, you know, because we are at the trade show. We are releasing our first fresh pack. And it has um, every Vitola of our Juarez blend. And it has a new Vitola in there called the Ferdinand that will be an exclusive to that size. Um, we announced that we're doing a number two classic Cuban size, number two torpedo PCA exclusive in our Lepetissier line, which is a Connecticut broadleaf, beautiful cigar. We don't do a lot of shaped cigars. Uh, it's not something that we traditionally do. So for us to put out a shaped cigar like the number two size is rare. Uh, and I've smoked it. I think people are going to be blown away by that cigar. Um, we have announced that uh, by the time this airs, that our new Mule Kick, which we do almost every year, the Mule Kick that we have coming out this year at the trade show will be a very different kind of Mule Kick that we traditionally have done. In the past, Mule Kick has either just had a darker wrapper or we've played with the wrapper in Mexican San Andreas, Broadleaf, or whatever it is. And this year, it's going to be very unique, um, and we'll announce that very soon. So by the time this airs, that'll be uh, – and then we have a new core line um, that I can't say much about. Um, it's going to be announced uh, at the show. We're excited about that as well. Uh, man, it's hard to pick uh, one thing over another, but I just – there's so many great, great cigars that we have releasing this year. And retailers, they come to us and they say, hey, listen, one of the things we love about Crown Heads is in the world that we live in today, people, people, retail consumers go in and say, what's new? What's new? It's the number one question asked in a cigar shop is what's new? And there's something to be said about having great core lines. Like for us, our Four Kicks, our Mil Diaz, our Juarez, our Lom Periosa, those are core lines that sell all year long that are, that are relative um, uh, staples in, in premium cigar shops. But I think a lot of our LEs and, and fun projects like this PCA exclusive number two, Le Petitier, it brings consumers in saying what's new, what's new. And I think our retailers are always are very appreciative that we're creating projects that bring consumers through their front door. And, um, and so it is tough to choose a favorite cigar, but there's something special about that Mil Diaz Tulpes um, that I'm looking forward for people to, uh, to, to smoke and to stock on the shelf for others to discover. I like what you just said about, you know, almost the role of crown heads in addition to making the cigar is to help bring people into the stores. Um, I think that's a different, it's a slightly different way of looking at, you know, the role of the manufacturer in this because manufacturers, you know, can sometimes get caught up in, you know, their own business. Um, but if you work from, from that point of view, it's like, you have a, a larger goal that you're trying to accomplish. And it's like the, the retailer is the hero of the story. And you're just, you're like the guide, you're the, you're the Yoda <laughs> trying to give them, you know, the tools that they need in order to be successful. Yeah. You know, uh, the consumers of yesteryear when my father uh, was alive as a young man smoking, usually you stuck to one brand and that was your brand. You stuck with one Vitola. That's what you smoked. But in, but in more modern times, probably since the end of the boom, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, people really, consumers really changed their habits. They became much more of sampling all these different brands, all these different blends. And, and what brings a consumer in the front door? Well, his favorite cigar. 
What keeps them coming back more often are projects like Las Calaveras or Mule Kick or our Le Carim Bellicoso Fino that we release almost every year. These fun projects that, that, that our consumer says, I've got to get into my retail my retailer this week because I know this week Crown Heads is dropping something or Foundation is dropping something or Espinosa is dropping something. I got to get in there. You know, I may already have a full box of what I smoke every day, but I got to get in there to get my hands on this new project before it sells out. I think that's part of our role as manufacturers is to create great projects for the consumers to enjoy, but also for retailers to get excited about and to have a reason to to reach out to the consumers and say, hey, come visit your lounge. Come come visit your, your home away from home. We've got some great new projects that you can enjoy. Um, and when you and when you do that, again, it goes back to that circle, all of us looking out for each other and continuing to carry the flag of this incredible hobby that we call cigar smoking. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And when a retailer says to me, Miguel, oh man, we had a great year with you. Um, you know, your Mil Diaz and Juarez kicked, kicked butt for us. Our, our, our consumers loved it, but your Las Cal and Mule Kick brought some new guys in I had never had in my shop before. Those are very exciting for me to be a part of and very exciting for Mike and John and Tim, the owners of Crown Heads to hear as well. And we get a lot of that feedback at the PCA trade show. And obviously the trade show is where 99% of new cigars are announced that are kind of released through the whole year. And it really is the Super Bowl, if you will, of cigar smoking. And gentlemen like yourselves and a lot of the cigar media, um, back back in the day, you know, there were one or two guys that would come and get information on what we were releasing. Now we have a load of people coming in, shooting video, interviewing, and and some people may go, oh, man, doesn't that bother you? And I say, no, absolutely not. Mike, John, Tim, they love it because they know that these videos will play. They know that you're reaching out directly to the consumers and to the cigar fans like us ourselves. And you're the reason why a lot of guys will walk into a shop. They'll say, hey, listen, I heard about the cigar on this show and I got to try it. And I think retailers... Um, if they don't know, there are many retailers that appreciate what the cigar media brings to our industry. And again, through technology, we have found new ways to reach consumers. Uh, during a pandemic, I was invited in on some of these herfs. Well, a herf was always, I went to somebody's house or I went to some cigar shop and we smoked cigars together. And during the pandemic, more than ever before, I was on, I was on some of these herfs and I was smoking with guys in Australia. I was smoking with guys in New Zealand. Now, I travel international for crown heads but those are markets that i never get to and i tell you i will tell you cigar smokers in australia in the uk uh in south africa in mexico and in the united states we are not that different we all love the culture we all love cigars and it's a way to bond and women men white black latino it's amazing how diverse this industry is and that's one of the reasons i think we all love it so much yeah, and I was thinking a couple of days ago that, you know, a big task that we all have, whether you're media or manufacturer or retailer, is building out this lifestyle, getting new new people in somehow so that because I know when I used to work at a, a pipe tobacco magazine, our biggest problem was that the subscriber base was old. Yeah. And when they died. There was nobody to replace them. And I know that sounds morbid, but it was, it was the truth. Yeah. And, well, you know, the, the, and, the cigar, the cigar, sorry to interrupt you, but the cigar industry was that way in the eighties. There yeah. was a worry that the older generation was dying. And many of these old cigar makers told their kids, the industry is going to die by the nineties. And then we didn't, none of us saw the boom. And so the boom kind of brought things back. So sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to say that the, what the pipe you were describing, the cigar industry mm -hmm. went through in the eighties. Yeah. And you know, and I, I just feel like, you know, it's our job to somehow, educate people about what this is, you know, that this is not like cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, it's okay to, if you only smoke once a week, <laughs> once a month, it's, it's okay. You don't have to be, you know, to chain smoke it every single day that that's not for everyone. Um, but it's like the education part, like educating people about it. I feel like sometimes uh, on the media side, like we have to provide a lot of context to the story. You know, so people understand, you know, the work that the manufacturer does. They yeah. want they need to understand how a cigar is made so that when the FDA wants to, um, you know, 
come in and tell a manufacturer how to run their factory, why that doesn't make sense as it would, you know, in a pharmaceutical kind of way. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and yet we, it's, it's hard to do that. I know as, as media, because it is a lot of work and it's hard to do that as a manufacturer because you're, you're focusing on the, the sales and stuff like that, but there's a lot of work to be done. So I commend you for, you know, being out there and doing these interviews uh, and talking about the industry, because that's the only way I think that we're going to be able to win over, you know, we may not win over hundreds of people at a time, but even two or three, you know, if we can change their mind or get them to kind of come in and at least consider this industry and this lifestyle, then it's a, it, it's a big difference or it can make a big difference. Well, I think what you do uh, makes a really big difference because I meet consumers all the time who say, you know what? I'm not a magazine guy. I'm not a book guy. I'm not going to sit there and read. But what they did is they discovered on YouTube, they discovered on other platforms, videos that they could sit and watch while they were smoking. And they they said, man, I, I thought I knew cigars. And now I have a whole new appreciation for cigars. Social media has been great because if I wanted to, if I had a, a favorite base, like my, my Cincinnati Reds in the 90s, you know, if I, if I wanted to meet a player, I literally would have to go to a signing or be down there before the game started and hope that they pass by and maybe I could talk to him and get an autograph. Today, you can tweet Derek Jeter directly. You can tweet Joey Votto directly. Mm -hmm. you, can you can tweet you, Cigar Coop, and all these guys directly. And they can tweet John Huber and Pete Johnson uh, from Tatawahe and all these guys. And there's, we're so much more connected today. And the role that cigar media plays is tremendous because the more people enjoy listening and watching than they do reading about cigars. And especially the new generation, they live exactly. on TikTok. They live, <laughs> they live on social media. And I have met so many people that are in their thirties who said, I smoked a cigar when I was 21. It was on a golf course. Didn't think about it. Then they're so involved in social media and they come across one of you guys and they go, oh, I remember I smoked a cigar 10 years ago. And next thing you know, they're back in a retailer going, wow, this is so much more rich and, and, and there's so much more to know about it. And because you, you and, and everyone else in the cigar media have reached them on their level, on their preference they have come into the industry and unlike cigarettes that rely on addiction to bring people in cigars, the most addictive thing about cigars is the culture. Once you walk into a great retailer, once you tune into a great show like yours, you're addicted by the, the friendship, you're addicted by the knowledge and you just get into it and curiosity. We want to share things that we love with other people. And uh, the industry, although we fight the FDA, we fight smoking bans, we're fighting taxes. I think our industry is in a pretty good place and it's in good hands for the next generation. Exactly. And I thank you for all the compliments. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it does matter uh, to share the, share the stories and have people kind of come in and ask questions and just be curious about this lifestyle and figure it out for their own sake rather than letting the, you know, preconceptions sometimes and stereotypes kind of keep them out of it if they are curious yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, I, I know that you've mentioned Tim a, a couple of times and some people may be saying, who, who is Tim? You know, I know Miguel works for Crown Heads. Can you tell people who Tim is and about his company before, you know, we absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, uh, Tim's father, John O'Osgener, um, Turkish Armenian, immigrant to the United States, studied at Columbia University, uh, wind up moving to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, a gentleman who smoked a pipe, he, him being Armenian and from Turkey, obviously Mirsham pipes were, were his choice of pipes. And he was an engineer. And in the early 60s, late 50s, the pipes were, Mirshams weren't drilled very well. They weren't constructed very well. Not as well as briar pipes were. And so being an engineer, he would tinker with these pipes and he would go to he'd go to tobacco shops, tobacconists, and he'd get pipe cleaners and pipe tobacco. And then they would say, Wow, you have a really nice Mearsham pipe. Hey, can I buy some of those off you? And Jono would say, Well, sure, absolutely. Although Jono had a career as an engineer, he would call his family back home and say, Send me a load of pipes. And then people started asking him, 
I want to tell people that you worked on this pipe. Can you put your initials on it? And he put C-A-O. Now, his name's Jono Osgener, but Jono is spelled C-A-N-O, but it's pronounced Jono. So in 1968, he started CAO Pipe Company. And the uh, In the 80s, they got into humidors. In the early 90s, they dabbled in cigars. By the late 90s, they were a, a cigar powerhouse. Tim Osgener went to USC and, and sold cigars for his father. Eventually, Tim became the president of CAO. And really, from 2000 and 2010, that 10 years span created a powerhouse in unique marketing, unique tobaccos. Brazilian tobaccos weren't really um, being talked about. Italian tobacco, uh, double Maduro used to people used to refer to a dark wrapper as a double Maduro, but we used Maduro wrapper, Maduro binder. So there was all these uniqueness that CAO brought to the industry in that 10 year period. And Tim was the head of that company. His father started in 1968, and Tim and his sister Eileen ran the company. I was blessed to work for them back then. In 2007, they sold the company to uh, Henry Winterman. That was owned by STG. But in 2010, they merged the company. So Tim and everybody else that was there, Mike Condor and Tim Oz or John Huber, um, they stepped away into 2010. And in 2011, Crown Heads was founded. And Tim has always been a part of Crown Heads uh, in one way or another. Recently, Tim has come back to the industry. He started a nonprofit um, performing and visual arts center called Oz Arts in Nashville, in the old CAO headquarters. Um, he hired a gentleman from Disney to help run his nonprofit. It's a it's a tremendously successful um, art institution in Nashville, Tennessee. Storming out here in Florida. I don't know if you heard that or not. Um, and uh, and so Tim, obviously, with the growing up, literally, he learned his he earned his allowance in the '80s by pricing pipes and cleaning pipes. And so he's been in the industry since birth. And so Tim wanted to get back in the industry once he had his nonprofit up and running and he's back and he started Osgener Family Cigars. And at CAO, it was a brand, but we never really told the story of his father and his mother, the immigrant story of coming to this country, truly living the immigrant um, success story. And Tim wanted to, to carry on that legacy. And so Tim started Osgener Family Cigars through Crowned Heads. Um, we distribute the product. And Tim Osgener is one of those guys you could not go anywhere in the cigar industry in the early 2000s and not see Tim or be affected by CAO cigars. And so Tim is back and he's released two core blends. One is called Bosphorus, which is in honor of his mother, um, who is Turkish. And the, uh, the Bosphorus Strait is the busiest strait in the world. It separates Europe from Asia, goes right through Istanbul, Turkey. And uh, he's released a new blend called Aramas, which is in honor of his father, who is Armenian. There's a mountain in um, Armenia called Mount Ararat. Some people call it Masis. So he took the prefix of both words and created the word Aramas. And that cigar is in honor of his father. And those blends are relatively available almost everywhere in the nation. And Tim is excited to be really back in the industry and people are excited to have them back in the industry, but there is a generation. If you started smoking cigars after 2010, you may not know who Tim Osgener is. And so through these new blends, through events, through tastings, and at the PCA, Tim is, is, is reintroducing himself to a lot of the young tobacconists or young consumers that are in the business and obviously connecting with consumers that have done business with his family since the late 60s, early 70s. Um, and Tim, when I sell the Osgener family cigars, I'm not just selling a great quality product. Both of his cigars are made by the legendary Ernesto Perez Carrillo, who is the godfather of boutique cigars in our industry. Um, when I, back in, I always tell this story. In 2007, I had a brain tumor. I have a big scar on the side of my head. I had a stroke and a brain tumor, and I was working for CAO. And Tim Osgener, John Osgener, his sister Eileen, and Mike Condor, and John Huber all made sure that I was taken care of during that time. And I got nursed back to health and continued to work for CAO. And, and they took care of me every day that I was sick. And so when I sell Crown Heads and when I sell Osgener Family Cigars, I'm selling not only a great product, but I'm also selling the people behind the blend, people that had a huge effect on my life and my health and who I am today, that not only do they make great cigars, but they're great people. Um, they're really connected to just being great humans. And when I sell their cigars, I'm selling them, their, the, who they are, their personality, their passion. Uh, and and I, so I take it very serious, and, and I'm honored every time I meet someone who says, I either I'm so great to have Tim back in the industry. He did so much for me in the early 2000s, or new guys going, oh, my God, I didn't know there was this history, and I want to connect with it, and I want to smoke a Bosphorus. I want to smoke an Aramos. I want to meet Tim. Um, 
I don't know, there's a little piece of me that just, it makes me proud to, to be able to sell a great product, but it also makes me proud to sell great people. Yeah. And they, you know, you've you worked at enough companies and people who watch this have worked at companies. It always matters who's at the top and their personality and how they treat other people because that trickles down and it sets the tone for everyone. So you can tell that, you know, you're passionate about this company and I'm sure that passion in part comes from the people who are at the top who are also passionate about um, the products that they make and the people that work for them and the people that they work with to bring the products to market. 100%, 100%. At this point in the show, I usually like to try to round out this part of the interview with two questions. Um, the first of those questions is, do you have a philosophy that you live by? I, I, I was very blessed uh, when I was at CAO to work for a gentleman by the name of Mickey Pegg. He owns All Saints Cigars now. He's in the industry. Mickey was our uh, national sales manager, a position that I hold now with Crown Heads. He eventually rose to being vice president of sales. And Mickey would always say to me, when you go out and you sell and you're being a salesman, when you're driving to an account, when you're selling or you're an event meeting a consumer, he said, you're not just representing your brand, but you're representing your family, your wife, your kids, your upbringing, your parents. And so the philosophy I try very hard to live by is to make them proud. Even though my wife may never walk into this particular retailer, maybe this other retailer or consumer will never meet my kids. But through me, my philosophy is that if to live that interconnection and be as positive and be as, um, as honest and, and forthcoming as I can be, I hope that when they walk away, they say, man, that guy has great parents. He has a great, probably a great wife and great kids. And so that's my philosophy in life is, is really just to um, make my family proud by everything that I do. So I never try to embarrass my company. I try to live as morally and as, 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 as honest as I can. And, and I hope that comes across. And people always tell me uh, that uh, Terrence Riley and myself are some of the friendliest guys in the business. And I take that as a compliment. You know, he, he looks better in khakis than I do. But um, uh we, uh, I think that's, that's an honor that, that you feel that you've done your job, that not only have you sold a great cigar and you've introduced people to the culture, but you've done it very respectfully and very honorably. So that's, that's my philosophy. It's not really a, a, a word or a sentence. It's just a way that you carry yourself day in and day out. Um, the last question is, I want you to complete the sentence. Miguel is... A cigar nerd. <laughs> you know, I, w I remember my first interview with, with um, well, my second interview, actually. It was my second interview at CAO, and I was in the basement of John Osgener's house. And I have Mike Condor, Tim Osgener, and, and, and Mickey Pegg there interviewing me. And one of the questions they said to me was, are you worried that your hobby is going to become your career, that you'll fall out of love with it? And I said, no, I, I think that would be... I would be lucky. I'd be blessed if I if I could make that happen. And 20 years late, 21 years later, I'm still that cigar nerd, still that cigar geek who would hang out in cigar shops collecting cigars before I even sold one cigar myself. And so at the end of the day, I tell everybody, I'm just a cigar nerd like everybody else. I, I still get geeked. I've opened thousands of boxes of cigars and I still get excited taking the cellophane off the box, cutting that guarantee label, sliding that lid off. 21 years later, 25 years of smoking, I'm still geeked when I do it. And, um, and I, and, 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 uh, yeah, so cigar nerd. Great. And for those who are not watching this and they may just be listening to the audio version, can you tell people what social media they need to follow in order to keep up with crown heads and Oginger and also what they can, how they can keep in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, look, Twitter, Facebook are very popular, but in my in my experience, as that Instagram really changed the cigar industry because Instagram is such a visual social media tool, and I think the best way you can connect with Crown Heads is through Instagram. John Huber runs that account directly. It's the Crown Heads. If you want to connect with Tim Osgner, you can connect with him through Instagram as well at Oz O O Z family cigars, Oz family cigars. Those are two great ways to stay connected with the, really the mover and shakers of our, of our business. And if you want to find me on Instagram, um, it's M I G S C H 1980. 
my first three letters of my first name, Miguel, my first three letters of my last name, Shodell, in the in 1980. Um, and that's the way you can find me on Instagram. And I'm warning you now, it's cigars, it's food, <laughs> it's rum, and baseball. So if you don't like any of those things, you probably shouldn't follow me because that's all I ever post. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And now that you've been here and we've gotten all the introduction stuff out of the way, the next time you come, we can have uh, a discussion, you know, beyond that. So maybe we can touch on the food aspect oh, yeah. uh, and, and get into some other deep, deep uh, conversations and topics. So um, Miguel and I are going to be filming uh, a couple other things after this interview is over. So if you're on a YouTube channel, you should be able to find those, uh, if not right away, but soon. Uh, and it'll be on Instagram and also TikTok and all those other social media channels. Um, if you missed any part of this interview or you want to see the other 131 episodes that have been done, you can go to youtube.com slash live, or you can go to deepcutslive.com. Uh, all the interviews should be posted there as well. And Miguel and I, like I said, by the time this airs, we'll probably be uh, preparing ourselves and saying our prayers as we start the <laughs> Vegas uh, yeah. PCA uh, bit uh, week, as I call it. It will really be a week for me this year. So um, we're going to say our prayers and hope for a good show. And uh, we'll talk to see everyone afterwards. Thank you for okay. having me on. You're amazing. 